Hi, welcome to Be With The Word. I'm Dr. Jerry Creed, and I am your host. And this is episode 50, oh, 58 of Be With The Word. And we're so excited because this is the Feast of the Holy Family. And it's also um, wishing you a Merry Christmas because this show usually comes out on a Tuesday. And this week, it'll be the right before Christmas. So we're going to kind of bring in some Christmas items, but the, the scriptural focus is the Holy Family. Well, I am so excited this week because I have a special guest, and that is Dr. Laura Cusimano, and she has a doctorate in clinical psychology from Divine Mercy University. And uh, Dr. Laura, so nice to see you. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, could you just say a few words about you and, and your sure. life situation a bit? And Absolutely. I graduated in 2017 from Divine Mercy University with my doctorate in clinical psychology, as you said. I spent my internship year working with people with eating disorders. That has been my passion for many years. So while I treat people with many presenting concerns, I really love to focus on specializing with people with eating disorders. So I spent my internship year at a program in Minnesota, an eating disorder treatment facility. And then I returned to Virginia where Divine Mercy University is located. And I completed my postdoctoral residency at a private practice in Northern Virginia, where I worked with people with eating disorders and also people with disorders of over control in general. Uh, so I have specialization in eating disorders and radically open dialectical behavior therapy. I have intensive training in that as well. So that was my, that's pretty much my passion, my area of expertise. And I currently live in North Carolina with my husband and our three young children. They're three, 17 months and one month old today. So congratulations. We I understand your, 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 your baby was born on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. My first one was. Oh, your first, first one baby. was. All right. Yes. And then, yep. So it's like a positive sign to me. I, I know. I was like, oh, she's, she's the blessed mother wants her. That's, That's right. Well, you know, what's great is that I've been doing this show now. It's just been over a year. And uh, this year for this you know, new advent, um, I've been doing the show and bringing in guests as much as I can. And I was actually uh, got a message from one of our listeners, a listener in Toronto. Hey there. And she said, could you do uh, the topic of eating disorders? And my initial reaction was, I actually don't work with that very much. It's not my, like if somebody came into my practice, I would be like with an eating disorder, I would refer them because yeah. it's just, I mean, I might be able to help somewhat, mm -hmm. but it's actually not my area. And so I went, okay. And I reached out to some friends who knows someone who specializes in eating disorders and your name came up. So it's well, been I'm a pleasure honored. to meet with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're this topic, and I think it's so important. This is Christmas week for many, and then right after Christmas, and the New Year's is coming up. So food is on a lot of people's minds. I know I am often like, I struggle sometimes with, I do struggle with weight gain. And so this is the time of year where I'm supposed to splurge, but at the same time, you know, so the whole issue of food <laughs> is a big one for people. And so I figured this is a great time to do this topic. Could you share a little bit? Cause I understand you told me you have a journey. You've had a journey yourself with, with eating disorder. So I would love if you'd share with our listeners a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I did go through my own eating disorder when I was in college. I was about 19 and 
earlier in my life, you know, I, I like to think back that I'd never been interested in psychology until college. And I never really knew anything about eating disorders. I think I took a semester long introduction course in high school. We had some kind of psychology elective and I took that class. And I remember seeing the term eating disorders and I thought, well, that's kind of strange and unusual and didn't really think anything of it. And then when I was in college, I found myself living through one. So it was between my freshman and my sophomore year where the onset occurred. I began, I, I had struggled a lot with self-confidence. And one thing in particular was that I was really longing to date. I felt really called. I felt very strongly as a child, even that my vocation was to marriage and motherhood. And so I thought, well, I'm going to meet somebody in college. I'm going to meet the man that I'm supposed to marry. I did not realize that was not God's plan for me. And I could not figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. Um, so I had always been very academically inclined when I was younger and through high school and college. And so my mom had said, oh, you know, you intimidate the boys or, you know, don't worry about these guys back when I was in high school. But then I went to college and I thought we're all supposed to be smart here. <laughs> and so I'm on an, a level playing field. Why aren't guys knocking on my door to ask me out on a date? And I really struggled. So what I thought at some point it occurred to me very incorrectly, but that it had to potentially do with the way that I looked. And so I found myself becoming very engrossed with all sorts of numbers, calories, uh, minutes spent at the gym. I'd never gone to the gym prior in my life. I just played and been like a kid dance saying, you know, that's how I moved my body and had joyful movement. But things became very different and very, I would say rigid for me. So I found myself falling into anorexia and in the span of a few short months, I lost a considerable amount of weight for my height and I really struggled. I suffered by weighing all my food. Like I, it was, it was just very, very unusual behavior. Um, what was propelling that? Like, like the fact that, cause that seems like a really big sudden shift then. Yeah. All of a sudden became like an obsession. Like it became like all you could think about was these numbers yes. and these things that you had to do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think obsession is a perfect word for this. Uh, I, I like to focus on things. And I think that for a lot of people who suffer from eating disorders, food is an area that we tend to think that we have a lot of control over. There's not a lot of control in many areas of life. And so this became something that I could control. I could monitor. I couldn't control if boys or guys, men were attracted to me, whatever you want to call college aged people. Um, but I couldn't control if they were attracted to me. I couldn't control, uh, you know, the way that they interacted with me. I could only control myself and my behaviors. And so I began focusing very specifically on food and exercise. So I found myself getting sick and I returned to school and thanks be to God, I had two wonderful roommates that I had known from my freshman year and we were living together on campus my sophomore year. Okay. And I came to school and they, many people noticed a dramatic difference, but had a really 
difficult time addressing it. I think that that a lot of people struggle with how do we approach someone that we care about who looks like they might be suffering from right. an eating disorder. Sure. And so, can I ask you this? Because yeah. a lot of people do this, right? Like a lot of people, like like say me, like even many times yeah. in my life, go ah, I'm gaining weight, mm -hmm. and so I'm you know do research, and I'm going to the gym, and I'm mm -hmm. working out, I'm on some diet, whatever. What's the line? What's the line you cross? where suddenly that's an obsession and where it's unhealthy? That line I'd say differs for many people. And so I think we all need to know our capacities and, and that's part of, I think, going to therapy and learn and growing in self-knowledge and using prayer to discern, like God help me to see what is the temperate amount of monitoring versus becoming obsessed. Um, I, and because I think sometimes we can go in the other direction too, which is, oh, I don't care about anything, right? And then right. what is that respecting what the capacities and faculties that God has given us either? That's another question, but I, I don't wanna get too philosophical, but it, it really, I think it, to get back to your question, I really think the line differs from mm. person to person. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that there are rules that we wanna say, you know, you can't say, um, now I personally, especially for people when I talk with patients about eating disorders, what that they've had in the past, I personally don't advocate dieting. Um, and I also can recognize that some people think that that's helpful for them. Um, I think that can become a very slippery slope though. So one of the ways to kind of monitor the amount of time one spends in reflecting or maybe researching to use the word that you use would be to consider how much time you're spending on websites or looking at magazines or articles. Uh, how much does it impact the conversations that you have? Is it changing the way that you interact with other people? So I know that going back to, and I don't want to segue too much back to my story, if, uh, but it, it actually kind of fits here. Yeah, I have always been an extrovert and I grew up performing. I have a strong love of musical theater and I had always had a vibrant personality and I felt myself shrinking, not just my physical shape, but my personality was shrinking. Oh, wow. And I stopped hanging out with friends. I had a wonderful group that I still attribute a lot of my healing to these relationships with my choir at the time. I was in a chamber choir and I stopped going to dinner with them after rehearsal. Mm. So I really went inward. I turned inward. Everything in my life took a backseat to food and right. to including my relationship with God. So that was my main focus. Mm -hmm. I needed to eat a specific amount of calories and burn a specific amount of calories each day. And so that I think was a, a real, uh, was really a helpful well, point for me was that I saw the impact that it had on my friendships and my relationships. And I think that that also going back to you is if you see it really causing a negative impact in relationships, perhaps that can be a moment of, to take a pause and say, am I getting too involved? Okay. So relationships and changes, they're important, but you know what I was hitting me here and, mm -hmm. and it does link a little bit because I do yeah. want to, you know, obviously bring in the scriptures and, Absolutely. and I thought that the, the, Colossians is one of the ones that was so powerful, I thought, in this in these readings, and that it, it, it literally lists um, 
put on God as chosen um, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, mm -hmm. kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And he goes on. But when I was reading that, what was coming to me in the work that I do, and I do a lot of uh, therapy with internal family systems, which is parts work, mm -hmm. was, um, whoa, the true self. Mm -hmm. All those qualities that St. Paul mentions are qualities of our true self created by God. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have, we have individual qualities as well and unique strengths and unique weaknesses even, yeah. but that make us who we are. But what you just said, what hit me mm -hmm. was that you were losing your identity in this. Yes. Yeah, that, that it changed your need to control. I, I thought that was powerful too. The, mm -hmm. the issue of I'm, I, I might not be able to control whether guys are liking me or, mm -hmm. or getting that attention, but I can control this, yeah. right? And then, and, I, and that need to control, then there becomes a loss of self. Yes. Okay, yes. okay. Yeah, I, I think that what you said about the term identity is, and the, and the phrase, the loss of identity is so accurate. I really didn't know who I was. And I was, I felt like I was drifting. Um, mm. I, I had a lot of powerful moments. And I, if you would like me to expand more on different aspects of the story, I'm happy to do so. But I, I think well, that it might help people to understand too, yeah. because it, even if, if our, one of our listeners doesn't have an eating disorder yeah. per se, maybe there's a loved one they have that they're concerned about. So it would be really good to know what yeah. to look out for. Yeah. Uh, what's the difference between, hey, you're just doing really well and you're like, you know, having this initiative to take care of your body better versus, oh, I, uh, this doesn't look healthy to me. I need, maybe need to talk to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, my roommates were noticing not just changes in my body. And I think it's important to recognize that from the perspective of an eating disorder specialist, that eating disorders don't always appear in a physical manifestation. So someone can be suffering and physical appearance may or may not change. Most people think of anorexia, for example, as being underweight. Yeah, That's the clinical, that's one of the clinical aspects of the clinical de definition. But anorexia can occur in people who are of average weight or who are even considered overweight. It, it depends on restriction, the amount of restriction that's going on. So mm -hmm. it's not always about what you see with your eyes. So yes, I did have a shift in my physical appearance, but I think what my friends were noticing more was that I was prioritizing getting up extremely early to be at the gym when it opened because I wasn't about to let this, what I didn't consider to be an eating disorder, but I wasn't about to consider or to allow these areas of my life to impact say my education or my, you know, so I was going to find a way to fit everything into my life. Uh, what did that mean? The, the one thing that I was really able and willing to cut out was socialization because a lot of socialization in college revolves around food or doing something where you, you know, not necessarily even parties or things, but there is some kind of activity. Catholic campus ministries afterwards, they have group, you know, meetings and then snacks. Well, I didn't want to do that. I, I would go to choir rehearsal, but I wouldn't go to dinner that things like that. So I was really willing to separate the social aspects and cut back on my relationships because I was so focused on reaching my goals. 
Mm. And the goals kept changing. So I, I have a couple memories of, uh, I, I think of the gym still to this day. I think of the gym where I went at, during this time as the scene of my crime, uh, that this is where I really went down a path that it really was an interesting journey that took me off of a path that I thought I was supposed to be on. And I didn't get back onto the path for like five or so years, you know, and, and thanks be to God, I am over a decade recovered completely past tense with ending. Um, that's another thing is that there are two different schools of thought. Some people believe in ongoing recovery in the eating disorder specialty world. And a lot of people also believe in full recovery. I am one of the people that believes that you could be fully recovered, past mm. tense, not struggling and completely free. Uh, so we can talk about that more if that, if that becomes relevant, uh, but in terms of my story, it is very relevant. Um, so yes, I spent a lot of time now. I'm, <laughs> you're going to have to edit this. Part out. No, no, you're fine. Well, can I ask you something? Mm -hmm. Do you have an opinion on something like, um, I think it's Overeaters Anonymous? Do you like have that? an opinion? I do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really strongly believe that there's no such thing as a sugar addiction. There's no such thing as food addiction because addiction, the way it's defined in say the DSM involves, if you, so if we took the DSM out and I don't have it with me right now, so I don't know if you have it there, but uh, we could put, replace the word food for the substance and it would not work. Um, there's really? Because okay. I, I do a lot of work with sex addiction. Yeah. That's not yet in the DSM right. either. But right. if you did replace the word sex for every, you know, alcohol or substance, or whatever, yep. it would fit. So it not fit. for food. Not for yeah. food. For exercise, there have been some research articles uh, that uh, have looked at exercise and exercise. If you, you, if you replace alcohol or substance with the word exercise, that fits more of the criteria for addiction because mm -hmm. there is, well, so I remember a specific point in my at being at the gym that I thought, oh my goodness, I keep going on this machine for longer and longer. How, if I'm here at the gym for this amount of time and I'm very deliberate in not using numbers, so sharing the numbers, um, because that can be very upsetting and to use a, a common word that we hear triggering for people with eating disorder uh, tendencies, like disordered eating or eating disorder behaviors. So I, I'm very specific in not using that. So anyway, I was, I recognized being there. Oh my goodness. I am here feeling like I'm chained to this machine was not physically changed the machine, but feeling like I'm stuck here. And how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Oh, wow. Because I know that at some point you reach tolerance. Mm. Your body says, okay, we'll adjust, you know, and, and physically speaking, your metabolism will change. There are so many different factors that the science that even, you know, as, somebody in the psychological realm and not the nutrition science realm. I don't even know all of the different things that happens to one's body when, when this goes on. Uh, but all of a sudden your body will recalibrate and, and say, okay, well, we can tolerate this. So if you want to continue losing weight, you need to do, do more. more. And so the I remember enslavement. 
to me yes, that sounds like that sounds like hard like i've i have I, go, I have gone to the gym i sometimes go to the gym more than other times in my life but i certainly don't like no one could accuse me of having an addiction mm-hmm. but what you just described helped me to see wow if that's your thought process no wonder you would feel like entrapped yep yep and that was i remember very clearly and that was i don't even know if i I did seek treatment. So I, that was, uh, but I don't even know if I was in therapy at that time when I recognized that. Um, I, it was, it was a very powerful thought. And I remember my mom making a comment too, saying like, how, how do you expect to do all these things with your life that you want to do and keep this up? I thought it was a really nice way to bring it up without, Mm. she was, it was a nice gentle challenge and not an accusatory challenge. It was just like a, how do you, how do you think this is going to work? It brought in my perspective. Okay. When she now I when I think of food, like that's interesting. The whole exercise component, mm-hmm. and, and I could see that as a as a sort of an addiction and giving you a sense of control. Because mm-hmm. the more I do, and if I up it, constantly upping it, the more control I have, and and yet it feels it sounds like a forever never ending thing. But then with food, I think it's interesting because, and here we are entering Christmas. Like a lot of food is associated with celebration. Yes. Right. You know, and uh, people are always bringing in donuts or people mm-hmm. are Christmas and there's all this food and all this. But I also personally and I have that association, but I also personally can certainly relate to the idea of food as a, a way of self-soothing. If I feel yeah. lonely, if I feel hurt or sad or shameful or something, some bad emotion mm-hmm. and food becomes the way that I can soothe myself. Right. And so and then there might be then added shame to that feeling of shame that I've done that possibly um and and yet so so I don't know how to you know what I mean like is food something that is a celebration of something or is it a soothing or escape from something so I would really encourage people there is a dietitian named Ellen Satter and she has a beautiful definition of food that is not in front of me right now. So I, she has a, it's a wonderful quote, but basically food can do many things. We can use it to celebrate. Sometimes we, I mean, I was even thinking, you know, you were, you were saying celebrations, oh, Christmas and things, but in a lot of cultures after a funeral, mm-hmm. we get together and grieve and share food together. Right. And, you know, I know my family's Italian. That's something that we we do. And so it's just a time to get, so celebrating life, but also grieving together. And yes, food does have a place in times, you know, sometimes if you have a a bad day as a kid, oh, you know, want to have some ice cream and cheer up or something like that. We use food. Sometimes food is a mindless act. Eating food is a mindless activity. Mm -hmm. We sit in front of the TV and maybe have popcorn or whatever, you know, snack while we watch TV. Sometimes we're very mindful about it. So Ellen Satter, if we get, if, if we were to read her quote, she includes all these different aspects. And I think it's a really beautiful quote that food can serve many different purposes and that doesn't make it good or bad. Uh, And I think also you were saying that food, you know, as an escape, I think it's important. and, And I'm very open about this too, that my, my eating disorder was not just anorexia. So it morphed. And this is something that I wanted to share with your listeners, our listeners today, that eating disorders don't always stay in one box. They tend to run on a spectrum. 
many people have heard about anorexia and bulimia. And bulimia is characterized by binge eating or extreme overeating with a lot of the feelings of shame associated that you had mentioned. I think of Princess Diana. Pardon? I'm Canadian originally. And so I think of Princess Diana. Yes, Princess Diana. Yes. And so it's also characterized by the purge, the ridding of the food. And that can be through vomiting, through diuretics. It can be through laxatives. It can also be sometimes exercise is considered as a way of purging. Mm. It, it can be, it's different for everybody. So there's those, but nowadays in the DSM-5, we now have something called binge eating disorder, which before was a disorder that was being researched, um, even in, up until the dsm that was DSM-5, excuse me. I might have just in case anybody listening doesn't know what DSM yes. is, that's the manual that mental health professionals use to diagnose uh, mental health disorders. Yes, yes. And so thank you for sharing that with everybody. <laughs> yes, I'm saying all the terms like- oh. cool. No, yeah. this is awesome. This is very interesting. I, yeah. I, I, so before that, it was an area uh, that was under research, but was not its own full diagnostic mm-hmm. uh, Uh, it was not its own diagnosis. So binge eating disorder is characterized by overeating, but no purging that is. Mm. So in my own life, I experienced anorexia and then over time it shifted to binge eating disorder, Uh. various reasons. um, And, you know, they were not always clear to me when I was in it, but I, through therapy, I was able to really come out on the other side and, and learn a lot about myself and, and why, what was. So, 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 so this is yeah. so fascinating. Actually, yeah. really, I would love, Good. I, I feel like we could talk about this all day and it would be so, so interesting, but I am wondering for our listeners, like, yeah. cause I know like, I, oh man, I can hear myself in some of that. Like mm-hmm. certainly the binge eating without the purging I can relate to sometimes or or the binge eating, especially in the holidays. And then like, okay, now I have to kill myself for a week, right? Mm-hmm. I know that's not healthy. I know that's not the way. Why can't I just be moderate, mm-hmm. you know, even over the holidays, right? And, and, and all this and what's going on and what emotional things are coming up for me during the holidays that cause me to take that perspective. Mm-hmm. So I have those questions that come up and, and maybe our listeners, some of them are too. So mm-hmm. what does what should you do if you identify it in yourself or in someone else? What steps should one take? I want to urge everyone to be gentle with themselves and with other people. So if you are noticing struggles or questions coming up, you know, like you were saying about this time of year, I honestly think really it's from Halloween through New Year's that we really get. Mm. I want to use the word assaulted, but like food comes at us uh, that with, you know, we emphasize candy on Halloween. Thanksgiving is usually a very difficult time for people suffering from eating disorders. And as you said, Christmas, I mean, we've got treats all over the place. And then New Year's people often say, I have a resolution to stop all of this. Right. And so it's almost like a twisted lent (laughs) that people are like i've got because it's very it can be for many people very detached from god and that you know these resolutions so anyway i i i think it's a it's a broad span of time even broader than this is just a hard time of year for people and i say to be gentle because 
when you mentioned say moderation, like why can't I be moderate all the time? Getting back to the idea of Ellen Satter's definition that food, food serves many purposes and it's okay sometimes to overeat. It's okay at times to not eat as much as you're hungry for that we, for various reasons, sometimes we're in a rush, for example, and we can't eat a meal as quickly or as nicely and mindfully as we'd like. And we don't get as much as we would hope for because we don't have time or, or something. And sometimes we're in the presence of a lot of food and family and friends, and it's a jovial time and we want to enjoy. So putting a moral judgment on food is often unhelpful. Right. There's also to, it's something to consider about disordered eating versus eating disorder. So we all can have times of disordered eating when our eating isn't completely, I don't want to use the word perfect, but it's just, it doesn't meet what we need, what our body physically needs, because food is really fuel at some point, right? Food starts as fuel for our bodies to give us the energy we need to complete the tasks that we have, or just for our basic body processes, for breathing, you know, we need to get through the day. And then food has developed, we've developed many attachments to food, often that are related to feelings, mm. like you were saying. So I think giving ourselves grace and gentleness and recognizing when we want to berate ourselves for being quote unquote bad, that food is just food and there's no good or bad food. And the way that I, uh, uh, because when we start when we start speaking to ourselves badly, and most of the time you won't say to another person, like, you're so bad, you had that cookie. You know, we would mostly say, oh, I can't believe I had that cookie. I'm so bad, I shouldn't do that. Uh, we speak to ourselves in much harsher language. And that is something that can start to have an impact on our self-esteem and start to really fuel those body image and eating disorder related thoughts. So I would urge people to be gentle, take a step back, really try to detach from the use of language that is not helpful, such as, you know, oh, that's such a, you know, that food has X, Y, Z in it. And that's, you know, that's such a bad food or I'm cheating. We use a lot of terminology that's not helpful. Mm. I'm, you know, this is my cheat day. This is my, um, oh, I earned this food. Food is not something to, that to be earned or, you know, it, it's so this is the moral judgments are so hard because then especially even if you're not personally suffering from an eating disorder or struggles with food, disordered eating behaviors at all, you might be talking to someone in your family or friend group who does and they might start to internalize it. If okay. Jerry thinks that about himself, I'm using you as an example. Just for, I think I've done that though. I, but, where the know, things I've said, maybe un, I don't think about it affect other people around me. Sure. And, and I know he must think that about me then. Right. That's where I was going to go exactly with that. That, you know, and most of the time we're not really thinking about other people. You know, we don't recognize what other people are eating the way that we recognize that we're personally eating. And so- right that we might say, oh my goodness, I meant nothing by that comment. But to the listener, to somebody who is struggling in this area, they might worry and right. start to become anxious. And then that can turn them inward and separate you guys in relationship. And, and that's, that's where I think the danger lies. So that's a big point that I want to drive home for people, yeah. especially at this time of year. 
Yeah, the, the way that I see food relating to things like other kinds of addiction, whether it's substance abuse, like like alcohol mm -hmm. or um, sex even, because yeah. I guess they're related to the appetites. And, yes. and, and the trick with food is actually the most challenging because you could avoid alcohol completely if you really want to, yep. right? And, or sex, I guess, but, uh, but that's not healthy, especially in a married situation. You, you sure. are also, you know, meant to be, um, be intimate. So, but food, you really have to have. Yes. So, so it really challenges us to actually face the demon here, because I think that, and I'm maybe not using the right word to say demon, but what I mean is, is that if there's a part of me that's lonely or sad, and I'm using food to kind of numb that and just make myself feel better. I really probably need to look at that and then, and actually address the lonely sad part, yes. right? Like actually take care of that part in a good way in a loving way in a healthy way. And like you were saying before about relationships in a, maybe even in a relational way by reaching out and, and all this. And so, and, and in a prayerful way, in a spiritual reaching to God too. So, so it challenges us to face that hopefully, you know, and I think, unfortunately, maybe not always, and not often, maybe even people don't, it's just a lot easier to reach for another, whatever it is in the fridge, or to, to, or whatever to, to just, because that's candy, and works quickly. Yes. But temporarily. Yes. To relieve that, that bad feeling. Does that, does that all resonate? Does that make yes, sense? Yes, it does. I want to say, yeah, completely that a lot of times, the numbing piece, not just for people who are overeating, but restriction leads to numbing too. And so, so mm -hmm. both, both behaviors can have the same effect on the person in terms of their physical, their feelings of emotionally and, and mentally speaking. So there that you can lead, have this numbing because the feelings are too overwhelming to feel. So we need to, there's too much going on. So I need to numb out and, right. you know, by restricting that can happen for some people or exercising or eating a large capacity of food in a short period of time. So yes, I think that, as you said, it's a temporary fix too, because it, it can feel like you're almost always, you know, chasing this high, so to speak. So I can see how a lot of people do think about it in terms of addiction. But as you said, one of the most important things to remember is that we really can't abstain from food. We could, I mean, you can live longer without food technically than you could without water, but you need food to survive well, and you don't need alcohol. You don't need drugs, you know, hard drugs or anything. And you could live without sex, like you were saying, but that, I mean, not in a, a married relationship, that's not the purpose, yeah. uh, you know? So, so that we, so yes, it, it, it's very hard for me to get on board with the idea of something like Overeaters Anonymous or something because of the fact that it's not, I, I think that it can just, we can't just get rid of food, right? We, we just can change our relationship with it. And I suppose some people could argue that, yes, that's a way that you change your relationship with it is cutting out certain foods that are tempting or lead to overeating but i would prefer to if i had the choice i would prefer to help people learn how to manage that relationship in a better way than to just cut things out completely 
Right. Well, in fact, I, I think it's interesting on the readings and the Psalm says, um, so fascinating, Psalm 128, it says, um, blessed are those who fear the Lord and all that. Then it goes on to say, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Mm -hmm. and, and it goes on to say, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine your children like olive plants. Mm -hmm. And I think <laughs> I like that because they're, they're food images. It's like food is something that is beautiful and it's produced in nature and it's, you know, and it's enjoyed and, but we, we work, you know, normally or gardening or your, whatever you're doing or farming, we work to create this food. And so it's actually something beautiful, mm -hmm. just like sex is, in the proper context is beautiful and and so on and even even alcohol can be i mean in the lord's you know the eucharist itself includes wine right and it's a sign of celebration so in the proper order it is actually wonderful and beautiful and celebratory and yet unfortunately because of our fallen nature because of our wounds because of this or that we actually um you know we actually sometimes you know misuse things um, and so like, wait, I think what I'm hearing you say is it's rather than avoid or just cut out, we have to learn to manage it and really have a relationship with it. That's healthy. Yes. I think that there is a really big misunderstanding of the virtue of temperance and mm. what it means to actually be temperate. Temperate temperance doesn't mean eliminating everything that's tempting, but, but learning how to manage these appetites. And so it's funny because it's been a while since I looked at it, but my dissertation involved the virtue of temperance and how there's mm -hmm. just that people tend to think, especially when it comes to food, we think of it as all of this cutting back uh. and avoiding and restricting. And I think that it, there, especially people with eating disorders, not that I would say that most people with eating disorders sit and think about the virtue of temperance and how to, how to, you know, how do I live this out appropriately, but that they are very misguided in right. terms of what, you know, how they would define temperance is elimination, restriction, avoiding mm -hmm. versus how do I, how do I interact with that food in a reasonable way? Yeah. And, you know, we're going to have to wrap up in a minute. I, a whole bunch of topics are coming up for me. Like I would love to discuss <laughs> with you what a healthy way to fast would be. Yes. Know, especially yes, yes. maybe for Lent. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm, I, I attend an Eastern Catholic church. And so we've been doing the Phillips fast, okay. uh, which I don't know that a lot of Roman Catholics think about Advent that way. <laughs> <laughs> they just think, it, you know, it's all just putting up decorations and starting the food binge. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but it actually is, part of the preparation is fasting. And I think that also could be abused possibly, mm -hmm. yes, yes. but um, I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about that, but I have to Ooh. not go there, but I want no, to plant but... that seed um, <laughs> yes. maybe for Lance. So yes. Dr. Laura, what a pleasure to have you on here and what interesting, it's so helpful and interesting in this topic, I think is relevant for women and men yes. and all people. And because um, and food is just essential to our living and how do we actually have a good and healthy relationship with that? Well, I'm gonna have to thank you and, and start the wrap up on this. I hope you will, if you're listening, um, we'll have some information uh, about Dr. Laura in the show notes. If you're interested in hearing more about her, um, I'm gonna be, 
kind of challenging her to send me a little blog. I'd love to get a blog <laughs> on our site. I'll write that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and maybe have you on again sometime. So, um, but, and also I'm going to encourage our listeners to go on over to hear the word. If you haven't already, I'm going to be doing a meditation on these readings. Um, so, and I'm, I think I'm going to do, you know, I was talking about um, a moment ago, those wounded selves, right? The, those parts of ourselves that are carrying, you know, are struggling with, with uh, loneliness, sadness, even over the holidays, because that happens sometimes a very in sharp ways. Um, even amidst joy and celebration, there can be moments of loneliness and loss and, and so on. And my meditation is going to be focused on how to meet those parts with love and grace and kindness and, and healing rather than turning to something else like just binge eating or, or any other, other option. Um, so, so I hope you'll, you'll enjoy that meditation. And of course, come to soulsandheartsand.com. Uh, if you haven't already, you can just register and you'll get our weekly updates where you'll hear about blogs coming up, like maybe Dr. Laura's, and you'll hear about other, other items, communities we're building, um, all kinds of stuff in whole souls and hearts. So thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, be still, believe, and be loved. Take good care.